Hello everybody, welcome to the Anita Posh Show, a Bitcoin-only podcast. My guest today is Jörg Platzer from Germany. His bar, the Room 77 in Berlin, was the first place globally that accepted Bitcoin for burgers and beer as early as 2011. We're going to talk about the situation of Bitcoin in Germany, his experiences with Bitcoin and the development of Bitcoin in the last 12 years and his future outlook for Bitcoin. Before that, a short message about my book and from my sponsors. After that, enjoy. Are you ready for lightning-fast Bitcoin transactions? Paxful has you covered. The Lightning Network has arrived at Paxful, which means you can send and receive Bitcoin within a matter of seconds, all with much lower fees. With seamless integration onto the Paxful platform, making easy transactions has become even cheaper and faster. It's as simple as accessing the Lightning tab on your Paxful wallet. Head over to Paxful and try it out now at anita.link slash paxfulln. That's anita.link slash paxfulln. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. Anita's work makes Bitcoin approachable, understandable, and compelling to those who are new to Bitcoin. Andreas M. Antonopoulos, author Mastering Bitcoin and the Internet of Money. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. Living on crypto is easier than you think with Bitrefill. Choose from over 4,000 gift cards and mobile top-up options from around the world. I used Bitrefill to top up my phone when I was visiting Zimbabwe. It was easy, worked like a charm, and I even earned sats back. Pay with Bitcoin, Lightning, Ethereum, Dash, Tether Overtron, and many more options. No account is necessary. Join the thousands of users around the world who are living on crypto today using Bitrefill. Join now at bitrefill.com and start earning sats back with each purchase. That's bit refill.com Okay, hello Jörg Platzer. Thanks for doing this uh, interview with me today. My pleasure, Anita. Thanks for inviting me. I've heard uh, it's only Al Jazeera and the Anita Post show today. What an honor. Yes. <laughs> Exclusivity. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, um, Jörg, please introduce yourself. You're the one of the founders uh, of the famous Room 77, which was the first place in the world to accept Bitcoin for beer and burgers. Um, let's talk a little bit about the roots, your roots and your roots in Bitcoin, please. Um, yeah, well, you did introduce me now. I already mentioned it. Um, my roots in Bitcoin are a good 20 years older than Bitcoin <clears throat> because uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, I was very enthusiastic about the internet. Encryption was a standard procedure back then, actually. I mean, we did actually encrypt our emails back then. And um, there was a cypherpunk movement. Uh, that came up with the idea that we could use encryption to create a digital cache. <clears throat> and um, I was always very enthusiastic about that idea. And over the next like 20 years, 20 years before Bitcoin, um, you had plenty of digital cache projects that tried to implement digital cache. 
eGold is a famous example. I was an eGold customer. And um, they all failed uh, due to either technical reasons or if not for technical reasons, then as soon as something became kind of successful like eGold, the regulators came and shut it down. <clears throat> um, when Bitcoin turned up, it did take a while uh, to realize that there is actually nothing in Bitcoin, or that Bitcoin is built in a way that actually nobody can stop it. It was, it was. We, we were literally looking for the flaw. All the other projects had some flaw and failed. Where is the flaw in this? Didn't find any. Yeah. So that's in short my background. Why Bitcoin and why digital cash? Mm -hmm. So when did you? So you were on the cypherpunks mailing list, or and and on Metstout? On Metstout, hmm? yeah. Uh huh. And yeah, and there um, you saw the message from Satoshi or from somebody else. Um, I realized talk about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I I don't recall that post, mm -hmm. but there was talk about it at some stage. So at some stage, I also looked into it. That's what that was two thousand nine or something around ten eight, nine eight, ten, ten yeah not eight nine, yeah. nine or yeah. ten I guess. And how long did it take that you and the other people realized there is no flaw? Well, it, it's kind of a slow thing, you know. Because the fact that you didn't find a flaw for four weeks doesn't mean there is none. Hmm. So confidence grew. <clears throat> uh, yeah, but there, there was a certain moment where I realized this is entirely peer-to-peer. -peer. This, is, this is like BitTorrent. This is, this is not like an, anything we've seen before. I guess that was the moment where, uh, I mean, we did call. This is actually interesting. We did call... Like the early Bitcoin community, we always, we always called it an experiment. I only realized the other day that I don't recall the moment when we stopped calling it an experiment, but nobody is calling it an experiment anymore. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I heard that too. Like four years ago, uh, or in 2018, people told me still it's an experiment uh, in interviews. Uh, uh. But recently, yeah. I, I haven't heard it. I think anymore. we are out of the experiment stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, many, many more people use it and transact with it. And I mean, with El Salvador, um, uh, becoming like Bitcoin becoming legal tender there in a few days. Uh, now actually I think almost in the developed world, let's call it that way. Most people know about Bitcoin at oh. least. Yeah. Oh, it's turned yeah. a household name. Mm. And, um, so, and did you, Already, have you already been the owner of the bar in 2011 when yeah. you decided? So, and then you decided to use Bitcoin as an experiment in the bar. <laughs> I wanted to have Bitcoin. Ah. Um, uh, I'm a bit embarrassed, but I failed at mining <laughs> several attempts, and all of a sudden there was this idea: why, why, why not just put up a sign and go like, you know, you can pay in Bitcoin and post it on a forum, see what happens, and then it happened. Actually, one of the best methods if you can't mind Absolutely. to earn Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yeah. This is also yeah. what I recommend to people. Don't bother buying or, or whatever, investing. Just 
see that you sell your services or products for Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. I'm doing that tool now for oh. a few years. So oh. whenever it's possible and I have a client in the space, like a sponsor that's a Bitcoin company, I ask for Bitcoin. And most times now it's possible. Some oh. say, um, we need to do it in fiat. We don't have it set up yet, but most of them, and that's the easiest way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, so this experiment lasted almost 10 years. Yeah. This, did you close the room 77 this year or last year? Well, uh, in, at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, at the beginning immediately. Okay. So it's well, almost a actually year. Actually three weeks or four weeks before. So, uh, did you see it coming? Yes. It was, it was visible. So we closed the room three or four weeks before the government mandate came. And everybody thought that's about as crazy as you were 10 years ago when you started to accept Bitcoin or something like all the other bar owners um, couldn't understand. Whereas you have to, again, understand that uh, I didn't live of the profits of Room 77. Actually, Room 77 wasn't profitable anymore. Room 77 had always been a, a a fun project. It was, it, we opened it for the fun of it. We, we, we planned to have a rock and roll bar for one year and then it turned into 15. So of course other bar owners make their living with their bar. It's, it's a different mindset. You, you can't just go like, Oh, there's a pandemic coming. Okay. I'm going to close. And, um, yeah, what I also saw coming are, vaccine passports and contact tracing. I told that my friends who own bars, other bar owners, in in February, March last year, that because everybody was like, okay, we have to close now, but in summertime, you're going to open again. And I said, no, it's not going to be this year's summer, it's going to be next year's summer. And when you're opening again, you will need a bouncer checking vaccine passports. And now we have a similar situation with these apps and contact tracing and stuff. And uh, I don't really want to run a bar where people have to show their ID. It's just not my cup of tea. Mm. It would be as if you need an ID to show your ID to use Bitcoin. Something like that. Yeah. Especially, I guess I don't have to mention that uh, Room 77 regulars... Uh, are quite privacy focused, a lot more privacy focused than your average citizen. They are WikiLeaks people and whistleblowers and Bitcoiners and, you know. Mm -hmm. Would you mind coming a little bit closer because you're almost out of the picture? Oh, trying to flee. Okay. That, that's much better. Thanks. So you said uh, people like WikiLeaks, uh, Bitcoiners, whistleblowers. Um, can you tell some stories, maybe some interesting stories that the public can know that you can disclose who has been in your bar, like prominent Bitcoiners or uh, early developers? I mean, I mean, um, I guess. So now I forgot the name of the WikiLeaks founder. He was never in your room, I guess. Uh, Julian Assange, you yes, mean? Thank you. No, uh, <laughs> by his father. Oh, yeah. I made an interview with his brother. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, we can talk about Bitcoiners, and I guess all early Bitcoiners were there. All, um, uh, most of the developers, uh, you know, in the. I understand. Now I got it. Um, so, um, 
This is, by, this is, by the way, the only person who ever understood the real purpose of Room 77 mm -hmm. is Peter Todd, because he's the only guy who understood that we would have been able to collect fingerprints and DNA samples of everybody in the in the Bitcoin community. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and so I that, like that approach. So oh, that's what he said. Okay. Yeah. yeah, ah, yeah. yeah he said that Jörg is the, the real spook in yeah, this whole that, community. That's true in a way. Yeah. Um, so you told me the last time that it's great to be the bar owner of the room 77 because you can learn so much all the people come to you absolutely and uh tell you uh, like work on projects there mm. and discuss new mm. developments in bitcoin so now you're not the bar owner anymore so how do you get new information on all this stuff well um of course there is the internet but uh, something else has also changed The, the, the Bitcoin universe has grown so big, even as running a bar and being the bar owner, it's not the same anymore. If you, you have to imagine like 10 years ago, when was the first, the first conference was in Prague, maybe in 2011 or 12 or something like that. At the time, you literally knew everybody on the planet mm -hmm. who is in Bitcoin because they were all on one forum and, um, You literally knew every project in Bitcoin. It, it was just not so many, you know. And now it's totally exploded. So uh, you wouldn't have that effect anymore that I can learn everything that's happening in the Bitcoin space by having this honeypot bar and everybody's coming and discussing stuff. Unfortunately, it's not possible anymore anyway. Mm. And uh, Berlin, maybe because of the room, uh, has a long history, actually, or tradition. Um, there are a lot of Bitcoiners in Berlin and also project, as far as I know. Um, how do you see the development of Bitcoin in Germany in the last uh, 10 years, 11 years? Well, it's a disaster. <laughs> um, and it's that disaster that I predicted... When was this? Maybe 2014 or 15 even. I had the honor to be the first person to talk about Bitcoin at the parliament. Not at the parliament, but on a, on a panel discussion in the Paul Löbe House with, uh, with Bafin and, and, and uh, financial regulators and, and, and members of parliament from the digital agenda. And um, basically... I called it back then and I told them that the way they are trying to regulate and, 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 and keep stuff under control will lead, um, yeah, to, to a flight and an escape from, of companies, uh, to other jurisdictions. And this is exactly what happened. You have no Bitcoin ATM in the whole of Germany and you have no exchange in Germany. You have Bitcoin.de, which is a great marketplace. But uh, it, it matches buyers and sellers. It's not an exchange. And this is just, it's just incredible that we don't have anything in this country. And you, you, another thing is you have startups in Berlin, uh, because Berlin is a startup city. You know, you have these great lofts. It's, uh, you, you have all the talent here. All the young people come here, the developers. So it's a great place to have a startup, but it's not a great place to incorporate. So you have the startups here incorporating 
elsewhere, in London, in Zürich, in wherever, and paying their taxes there. So, so not only Bitcoin startups, other tech startups. I'm, I'm talking Bitcoin startups, oh, okay. especially. Mm -hmm. Because so, you can't get your banking license or you, whatever, you do something in Bitcoin. Yeah, I've heard also from uh, Germans who want, wanted to uh, do startups in the Bitcoin space coming to Austria because the uh, regulatory uh, framework was better like in 2014, 2015 in, mm. in Austria. Yeah, mm. So like Bitpanda, I think, uh, came to Austria. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Germany is a financial powerhouse and, and, and has a, a big weight in the European community. Uh, Germany is the country in the whole of Europe benefiting most for, of the, from the Euro. Um, so it has the most to lose, I guess. Um, and also we have, we have the most corrupt financial ministers. I mean, the, the guy in charge right now, uh, gave 140 million euros to the Warburg bank that stole it through the ComEx scandal. Oh, mm -hmm. These, this is stolen money. Not only did they not have to go to jail, they, they were allowed to keep the loot. <laughs> Our finance minister before that was Wolfgang Schäuble, famous for uh, 100,000 D-Marks black money that were found in the drawer of his desk at the parliament on the day in which he lied to the parliament claiming he wouldn't even know the arms dealer who gave him that money. So here we go, Germany wants to keep the euro uh -huh, yeah okay is this maybe also the reason why i think especially in germany there are so many uh, stories around the energy use uh, waste uh, of bitcoin I, I i hear that especially in germany a lot and also the uh the ask to ban bitcoin because of that well i've heard that from from america elizabeth warren has suggested also, to ban yeah. bitcoin i don't really have a, a comparison right now about the energy fund, how much that is a, a topic in other areas or other countries. It comes and goes in waves like all the FUD. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, that means, bit, um, not Bitcoin, but Germany will fall behind or has already fallen behind. It has already fallen behind and it will probably fall behind further, yes. Uh, do you think that Europe in general will fall behind? Like uh, you have China with its digital uh, yuan project a big surveillance uh, technology basically we, who i believe will roll it out into africa with the uh, big the road belt initiative mm -hmm. um, and i think the african countries will say yes let's use it it's very uh, like um, technological um, um, how do you say that um, advanced. advanced thank you and on the other hand, we have the U.S. Um, with um, maybe a U.S. dollar in digital form. And the uh, European Central Bank is also thinking about uh, CBDCs. I mean, is the surveillance network getting even tighter and tighter all the time? So, uh, I mean, central bank, digital uh, central bank digital currencies are the absolute dystopian surveillance and control nightmare, uh, to put it clear. I, 
actually doubt that China will roll out the digital yuan into Africa because I cannot imagine a, a central bank digital currency that does not demand full KYC. How are you going to fully KYC all these Africans? Um, they don't have bank accounts because you can't KYC them. There is no infrastructure there, really. Um, whereas Bitcoin can be adopted freely by everybody who has a who has a, a digital device and and access to the internet. So uh, I think Africa will probably more go into the direction of Bitcoin and not in not digi central bank digital currencies. Uh, central bank digital currencies only make literally only make sense in the Western or in the developed world where you have all the infrastructure where you can KYC everybody. Um, and <clears throat> where people are used to all that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and don't actually need, don't actually have the pressure to find some solution for their unbankedness. So the developed countries, I believe, and uh, are going to adopt Bitcoin much sooner and much faster which I, by the way, find absolutely beautiful because uh, we will see growth in the buying power of Bitcoin for a long time to come before we reach some kind of, you know, okay, everybody has Bitcoin now and, and this is like the, the, the price level it will have at the end. So imagine the the Western countries, the developed countries that colonized the rest of the world and impoverished the rest of the world will be slower in adopting the future money and will miss out on the gains, whereas the, the formerly colonized countries who in many parts still live under financial colonialism, just look at uh, your 15 countries in Africa using this weird French thing, you know. Mm -hmm. They still use a franc. <laughs> France yes, left. Yes, and I think their uh, <coughs> money is in the Central Bank of France. Yes, yeah. and the Central Bank of France decides the exchange rate of that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, so I think that's a very beautiful aspect of the whole thing that the, the poor people have a much higher pressure to adopt Bitcoin and will therefore have a much, much bigger advantage than uh, the rich societies. That's the beauty of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I was talking with Andreas Antonopoulos recently. I and heard he his name. <laughs> about his name exactly. Yeah. Um, and he said he thinks that all these KYC and all these regulations will actually harm the middle class the most, the uh -huh. middle class in our uh, developed world, because um, the the unbanked people without ID, they will need to use Bitcoin, as you say, they will adopt it. And the really rich can have they they have their own rules, you know, they, mm -hmm. they can. Okay, I get it. Yeah. So, which I think is very interesting. And, mm -hmm. I, and, and he then said that also the middle class, but then the middle class will vote. <laughs> and so they will vote out the, the, hopefully, uh, the, the regulators who made all these things, you know, like the politicians who are responsible for. Andreas is a very optimistic person. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's your view on that? I don't know. Um, 
I have said uh, many times before, also in, in, in talks that I gave, uh, at, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, nobody seems to give a fuck about freedom. Um, if people would, uh, I mean, I mean look, look at the Julian Assange issue, look at the Edward Snowden issue. Um, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not going to be privacy or anonymity that drives Bitcoin adoption. It will be the economic power. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so. So the, the idea behind the cypherpunks is to develop code and like to, to, to push it out so that people who don't care about privacy but care about the financial aspect use it anyhow. Exactly. And, and I think they are just building, which is great. And oh. they, they, I talked with also with Christian Decker the other time, the lightning developer, and he said, mm, we just drag it off and go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe can you a little bit explain, I uh, can remember you, you gave a talk on uh, financial freedom and the freedom of transaction. Um, what does it take from us if we can't do this anymore? Literally everything in an information age. I believe freedom of transaction is a meta-human right. Um that was never fought for, no revolution ever fought for freedom of transaction because we always had it. You could always transact in cash, anonymously, freely. Um, <clears throat> we're moving, the, 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 the further we move into the digital age, into the information society, <clears throat> um, the more we of, of course use digital services, Everything is uh, surveyed. So you, you need freedom of transaction to be able to move from A to B, right? Um, if you have a central bank digital currency in your app and that's the only money you have, the government can stop you at the ticket machine. The government just put a flag, this person is not traveling and you will not be traveling. Um, imagine you're a, <clears throat> you're a dissident in some dictatorship, yeah? You, uh, we value freedom of speech. Dictatorships do not value freedom of speech. So you need to protect yourself. Um, you need to pay your VPN. Maybe you need to pay your web uh, hoster or your, your something, you know? Um, and if you don't, have a means to, to pay anonymously. If you don't have freedom of transaction, you don't have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom to assemble if you cannot travel. So seriously, and, and, and hardly anybody sees it. Freedom of transaction is a meta human right that we always had. We always took for granted. And we don't realize that it's being taken away from us and we never discussed what it means to be taken away from us because there was never a threat to be taken away from us. So this is, this is actually my topic, my most important topic.
Mm-hmm. Is freedom of transaction. Yeah, and it because it's also so moving so slowly. So are they taking yeah. away one right after the other, or yeah. are they so away more one time after the other. And now you can combine all those data, and then you have these big data leaks. Yeah, which is your the other problem. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now when we have this like dystopian vision of the future, which is scary. What do you think will be the outcome? Do we in 20 years then realize, oh my, it's everything is too late. We we have to start a revolution or? That may well be. Mm. Uh, actually, the trend looks like that. So even if it sounds pessimist, but I think we have quite some struggle ahead and uh, yeah, quite some attempts to drive global humanity into a really dystopian surveillance future. Um, I'm not sure if we can, if we can even stop that. Hmm. And can Bitcoin help us here? Like Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is about the uh, one of the few aspects that, that give hope. Mm -hmm. But it's not yet there. I mean, like from the privacy perspective, it's still too easy to track transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Taproot and other new technologies. We see an improvement all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And also I've heard there's now a bridge between like a Monero's, swap between Monero uh, and atomic Bitcoin. Swap. Atomic swap. Exactly. Which allows you to actually swap Bitcoin into Monero to, to do some transactions and then swap it out in Bitcoin and there are no traces, right? That's how I understand it. That's yes. how I understand it too, yeah. And also with the Lightning Network, we, we have a lot of uh, privacy improvement. Absolutely. So how do you see, I mean, did you, when you started like in 2011, I guess all the people, the technologists were talking about uh, different layers, like for scaling. Um, how did the Lightning Network for you, I mean, how do you estimate its development in the last years? Amazing, totally amazing. I wrote a book about Bitcoin, a, a beginner's book in 2013 or 14, I don't remember, mm-hmm. uh, where I also discussed, uh, I discussed altcoins as, as valuable test nets. <laughs> um, side chains were already a, a, a topic and, um, yeah, wouldn't have expected The Lightning Network. I, I would have thought we're gonna we're gonna scale through side chains, merge mine side chains. Um, but the whole Lightning Network is 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 an absolutely amazing thing. The people working on it, you know, Rene Pika, for example, uh, working now on a system to scale Lightning by orders of magnitudes, orders of magnitude. Um, so yeah, this is absolutely fascinating. DeFi slowly moving to Bitcoin. I just wanted to ask you about that. I mean, there are developments, platforms, decentralized platforms like Sovereign using RSK, the, mm-hmm. the merge mined uh, sidechain with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Then we have Liquid. Um, are there other uh, sidechains you know about in Bitcoin yet? No, but I guess there will be some in well, the future. Uh, You mentioned Liquid. Um, no, I wouldn't know of any other. But then that doesn't mean they don't exist. 
<laughs> because you can't see them if they're in development, you know. That's they're, true. They're merged That's mind. true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and also, I mean, I have the feeling that when I wrote, when I was writing my book, um, I, I already, of course, knew, uh, I have to update that every year or something. And I couldn't follow all the developments in Lightning. There are so many different projects and yeah. products, um, yeah. which is amazing. And now, as I said before, we have this, uh, legal tender law in El Salvador. What is, uh, which I think is using the Lightning Network a lot. Um, I think it's only using only the Lightning the, Only using? Okay. But how do they then store their Bitcoin? Do you know that? Because they have this 150 million uh, US dollar Bitcoin fund where they want to like collect Bitcoin. Do you know something more about that? Because actually, I, I also don't really know. Uh, what's your question? Who stores the Bitcoin? That would be one question that I have that I don't know yet. And also what you think about um, um, expanding the usage of the Lightning Network into countries like El Salvador. Well, it's, it's absolutely great. Um, it's it's definitely a significant step in, in towards hyper bitcoinization of course we'll have to see uh, this is a government with a president the politicians but we give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> that they're actually nice people um, the way they're implementing it looks like the ideal way to implement bitcoin like you know no kyc and 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 uh, non-custodial wallets and so on. <clears throat> it's an experiment, huh? It's another experiment. I guess so. it's an experiment, but it's it's quite uh, it's it's quite on on quite stable feet. Mm -hmm. I would think. So it's basically a, a milestone for Bitcoin, isn't it? Have you have you thought? Did you think that this will happen so soon? Well, 10 years ago, I thought it's going to happen next year, so nine years ago. Okay. Um, right? Uh, I remember these, these, these first Bitcoin meetups where everybody was so enthusiastic. We, we, we literally believed central banks are going to be something from the past next year, you know? So as they say, uh, things first uh, things first go very gradually and then very suddenly. I think mm -hmm. that is a bit what we what we experience here right now. We did actually because uh, because said it's a step towards hyper Bitcoinization. We and I actually always thought that when, in, in years ago when thinking about how is hyper Bitcoinization going to happen, actually thought it's probably going to be a speculative attack against a small nation state. Mm -hmm. But it absolutely makes sense now that dollarized economies um, try to find a way to escape the dollar hegemony. I actually spoke about that before today, but let me say again, because um, you have to imagine the Federal Reserve is printing dollars like crazy, thus devaluing the dollar. Um, printing dollars like crazy has a short-term positive effect because you can pump up your economy, you can send people stimulus, stimulus checks, you can bail out companies in a pandemic, 
and so on and so on. But all these benefits are only for U.S. citizens and U.S. corporations. So all the dollarized economies get all the disadvantages of inflating the dollar, but no, none of the benefits. So it's literally a logical move. It's, you know... Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said before, all the developing countries and even more those who are dependent on the US dollars, which most of them are, but El Salvador doesn't even have its own currency. So yeah. it's even more, um, now really have the chance also through, through mining their own Bitcoin. Absolutely. If they have like resources, natural resources, uh, where they have excess energy, they really could like, Changed the, 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 the wealth, um, how shall I say, um, um, difference, um, absolutely. Completely, like, I mean, imagine 20% of El Salvador's GDP comes into the country through remittances. Mm -hmm. You already have a hundred or two hundred million dollars that people save in fees every year. That's a hundred, two hundred million dollars going straight into the economy of El Salvador to people who buy something from that, for that, from other people in El Salvador. It's in the economy. And the other thing that you mentioned, I mean, if it's true, it's absolutely great. They are setting up geothermal, um, Power plants on volcanoes to mine Bitcoin with volcano heat. <laughs> Besides the thing that that sounds really, really cool. I mean, imagine, you know, I have a little uh, Blockstream satellite and I get, oh, yeah. I get, mm -hmm. I get Bitcoin from space secured with volcano energy. That is so fucking cool. It doesn't get any better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, on a, on a, on a serious level. Yeah. El Salvador hasn't got much resources. It hasn't got much to export. Imagine what it means for a country with no resources all of a sudden to be able to access the free energy of their volcanoes and literally sell that energy. Mm -hmm. In form of Bitcoin. In form of Bitcoin. They, 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 they can, exp they have a resource that they didn't have before. They can exploit. Mm -hmm. They have something to export. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And I guess in the worldwide game of, uh, hash rate war, as Max Kaiser is calling it, those countries will be also first that, that are mining now already. Yeah. And I guess there are some, but we just don't know it. I mean, Iran, I think, is already mining. I heard that. Yeah. Uh, there is a district in Afghanistan where I did an interview with a guy from Afghanistan like a year ago, and he said, yes, yes, uh, they are preparing to mine Bitcoin there. Okay. Uh, because they also have excess energy. Um, yeah, so... And, and Europe, I mean, Germany and Austria, we will fall behind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But then that's, that's how things go. Yeah. So as a long time Bitcoiner, a Bitcoin OG, I would say that you are, um, can you tell me a little bit? I mean, as far as I feel that there's a big difference in the uh, perspectives and the ideas and the philosophy uh, of European Bitcoiners or maybe even Berlin Bitcoiners and US American Bitcoiners. Um, is there something that is then out in the wild, like the messages they send, uh, that you are a little bit like, how shall I say, you disagree or have other views? Um, because I mean, some of them have very libertarian views. 
Um, I'm not sure if we in Europe have those uh, in the same way. Do you have an opinion on uh, toxic maximalists, maybe? That's a lot of questions now. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, okay. I, I'm just f fishing for something where you, like... So, uh, difference between European and maybe American Bitcoiners, I would have a feeling, but that could be down to my own personal bubble, mm. because I'm an anarchist, I'm, a, I'm an activist, uh, I actually came to Bitcoin not for the Lambos, <laughs> but but for the freedom aspect, mm -hmm. you know. So, of course, uh, people around me are more like that kind of people. Mm. Um, and it could be that Americans, on average, are more business-focused, more this is something to make, make a profit or something. But as I said, this might just be my own bubble and not actually have anything to do about the libertarian stuff. I don't, people call me a libertarian. I, I've met libertarians with such weird views of the world. I would not call myself a libertarian. So, um, can't say much about that. Mm -hmm. But can you say maybe something about uh, your feeling when you heard that BlackRock, this huge American investment company, is now also investing in Bitcoin mining? I mean, aren't those companies exactly the ones we didn't want to interact with anymore? Absolutely. Um, I'm not happy, but it was clear it would happen. Mm. Nobody can stop them. Um, If they secure the network, they should get paid like everybody else. Um, what we're taking away from them um, is, you know, the closeness to the to the source of money, um, Cantillon effect, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, if we can stop governments printing money and hand it out to companies like BlackRock to buy. I don't know, all the real estate in the country and all the kind of stuff, uh, then it would actually be nice if they would secure Bitcoin at the same time and secure the technology that will bring them down. So mm -hmm. what can yeah. we do? Yeah. They have bent to the rules of Bitcoin in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you're an anarchist. Um, what defines an anarchist or maybe a crypto anarchist? <clears throat> um, I call myself an anarchist because that's uh, kind of a, qu quite a wide range. Um, <clears throat> it stands for rules without rulers. It it has a core principle of individualism. Individualism while at the same time understanding the importance of the collective. Without the collective, I would be dead in 24 hours. Without any other humans, I guess, you know, some some predator animal would catch you. So, so this is important to understand the importance of the collective while having an individualist approach. And the, the other really significant thing is taking responsibility for your own actions. When I do something, it's me who does that. And uh, I cannot blame anyone. I cannot, uh, I cannot 
for example, it doesn't matter if something is legal or illegal. You feel if it's moral or if it's immoral, and there's things that are deeply immoral but very legal. And as an anarchist, I guess you you go like, well, I don't care if it's legal, it's immoral, and I cannot blame the government that allowed it if I take this action now. I take this action, then it's my responsibility. I think it's about my anarchism, I guess. Yeah, okay, but what, what makes a crypto-anarchist? Well, crypto uh, cryptography is a great technology to achieve these goals. It is the technology to achieve these goals. Okay, so a crypto anarchist is just a person who's an anarchist and into crypt cryptography. Absolutely, who okay. I guess is an anarchist who wants to achieve anarchist goals and at least reducing the power of governments and surveillance state and sees cryptography as a very good tool to do that. Maybe the only one, mm, other yeah. than violence. Okay, now cryptography is basically a defense mechanism, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I can think, I can, one can say that yeah, that way. You could put it this way, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now, you had a vision about Bitcoin back in 2010 or something, I guess. How has this changed? And uh, in your opinion, where do we stand now? That vision hasn't changed. Okay. No. What's the final vision? Hyper-Bitcoinization, sound money, freedom of transaction. That was the vision 10 years ago, and it is absolutely still the vision. And we've come a long way. We've, we've, mm -hmm. we, yeah, we made quite some steps into that in that direction. I didn't think it would happen in my lifetime. Really? Wow. Absolutely. Okay. I, I remember a friend back then in the early days when we discussed Bitcoin, um, hey, this is working, can't find a flaw. It's really completely peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, I remember this mail from a friend, and he was like, maybe it's actually happening in our lifetime. <laughs> this was like, whoa, you know, this is histor history in the making. And it's about time for that history to be made. Mm-hmm. And I think you don't think that Bitcoin can be brought down anymore. I don't think so, no. But you, I guess you had that, uh, not like, you didn't know that back then. I this, mean, is, this is exactly what I meant before. When did we stop calling it an experiment? I think, you know, for each of us individually, when, once you stopped calling it an experiment, You were like, well, looks like it's working and uh, it's not gonna, you know, they tried everything. Um, it's, it's the biggest bounty on the planet is mm. on, 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 on bringing Bitcoin down. It has the biggest enemies. I mean, if, if, I mean, if you look at other technologies, you know about red flag laws. Mm -hmm. uh, when the automobile came, they made laws to make the automobile unusable. Basically, one of them was... If an automobile is driving down the street, a person has to walk 30 feet in front of the car and wave a, wave a red flag to warn people. Um, what was I going to say now? Uh, that technology is changing and I think something like that with regulation cannot bring Bitcoin down or they can't ban it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think I lost my track, so it's okay. Ne never mind. 
Um, so there's a saying that says, uh, you can't change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin changes, changes you. Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us maybe what has, has Bitcoin changed you in a way? I mean, since you have been waiting so long for it and now it is here. Huh. Has Bitcoin changed me? Well, it has, it has changed my life because, uh, I dropped all my jobs when I understood Bitcoin. Uh, I was a, a conceptioner um, and information architect for 15 years prior. And uh, I dropped everything else. I dropped all my jobs, well-paid jobs. Uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to learn this and concentrate on that. And this is the future. Just like I did with the internet 25 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I came from the, actually from the fashion business and discovered the internet 30 years ago and was like, okay, forget everything else. This is the future. So it, it changed my life in, in, in that regard already. Mm -hmm. It changed me. Don't think it changed me um, a lot personally. I think because it, it, it so much fits into all my ideology. I think uh, I, I took it on like a like a, a dry sponge takes on water. You know, Bitcoin didn't have to convince me. I didn't I didn't want to change Bitcoin. I didn't look at it and go like, oh, this could be made better, or da 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 da, or it would be better for me if it, this would be like that or whatever. It was just perfect from the beginning. So maybe we just liked each other a lot, Bitcoin and me. So I didn't have to change a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. And now you're very self-sovereign with your own uh, Blockstream satellite dish receiving Bitcoin blocks from space. Yeah. Is R this a backup and just to like try the technology? So there's a, there's a few friends uh, here in Berlin um, who helped or who installed it actually. It's, it's not a serious infrastructure project, whereas it is pretty, it is actually pretty cool to have, especially uh, with, with solar panels around that stuff. So it's, it's, it's great to have. And it, it is a technology that also wants to be developed more. I think they're rolling out a lot of satellite dishes in El Salvador because they have a lot of corners where there is no internet infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah. I heard that too, yeah. So the times for Bitcoin look good? Absolutely. The future Absolutely. is bright. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to need sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> Dark sunglasses. That's interesting. So um, is the bull run over? No. Uh, which bull run do you mean? <laughs> the longest never the, the over. The 10-year bull run or the, the… The last hype cycle, like the last since uh, the last um, oh, 2020 we, we had the halving. I, I don't think we, we've seen anything yet. Oh, yeah, cool. I, I mean, I, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so thanks for that. Anything that uh, you want to mention maybe that we didn't mention, which could be important for our listeners about Bitcoin? Uh, there's a lot, but I will only remember after the interview. <laughs> I know it's the same <laughs> with my questions. <laughs> thank you. So thank you very much. Uh, can people actually follow you somewhere? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet much. Yeah. So, yeah. But sometimes, I mean, I'm following you. You're, you're twittering interesting I stuff. I think I'm following yours too. Yeah, you are. <laughs> right. Okay, thank you very much, Jörg. Thank you for your work. You're doing great work in, in education and, and, and explaining Bitcoin. This is good stuff. Thank you.
Yeah, thank you very much for everything. Right. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for watching. I hope you tune in next week again on Thursday when it's time for the Anita Po Show. You can also subscribe to the show at anita.link slash subscribe. <laughs>